you want just about poured the tequila on my waffles. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to take a shot. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where we bring you two tales of murder and mayhem and discuss where a killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Thumbs up. Awesome. Pass the Oh. Oh, we're just going right into it, huh? We're going right into it. We are going, like, hardcore on this one. Yeah. Our cocktail, if you want to call it that today, is... This is not a cocktail. It's straight up tequila shots. <laughs> With the fixins and the yes. ceremonies, yes. though. Do we want to talk about the food first or just take our, fir- our we, first shot, meaning that there might be more? <laughs> well, we're all have, like, salt and... Honor, yes, right? I've... Uh, okay, here we go. I've never done this before. So, so. you lick the salt, drink the shot, do the lime. Okay. Here we go. Refreshing. <laughs> I don't like it. Woo! <laughs> no, oh. I could do that. Mm-hmm. It's the scene from um, Cutting Edge. <laughs> DB Sweeney at his height. <sighs> oh my god. It's in my belly. <laughs> Another round? Clint's finishing off mine. Oh, you couldn't drink your whole shot? No. I have a bad track record with shots. I saved a bite of waffle Mm. as a chaser. Excuse me. (laughs) You got a glass of milk there, too. That's that's what I'm scared about drinking. Tequila milk. Mm. It's warm in the back of my throat now. Woo! It's it's all in my belly. Yeah. And by warm, I mean burning. <laughs> yeah, too bad that Florida is stupid and we're not in like a 70 degree yeah. chill fall day. Yeah, because like, when this comes out, when you guys hear it, it's gonna November. Be November. Yeah, the and of it's November. still very hot. So, but yes, shots, 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 shots. Well, I can't wait to see how that relates to your story. I can't either. <laughs> I'll tie it together in the moment. Rachel just fell like, let's get drunk. <laughs> it's been, I've had a long night. Listeners. She's like, okay, what cocktail has one ingredient? One ingredient. Shots. Part, part of it is because, listener, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we have purchased quite a few alcohols for our Murder Brunch bar. And I'm beginning to think we need to start picking stuff that we already have. And so I assumed we had tequila. We did until last night. (laughs) (laughs) So it It, worked out. It would be very interesting to see to throw all of our cocktails onto like a Venn diagram. Oh shit. I thought you were going to be like poured all into a bucket. Oh God. (laughs) But see where there's actually, because they are all practically so unique that we had purchased ingredients every single time. I can't think of a, a episode we've done where we haven't purchased at least something no i think it's always been no. there's always been something we have to buy yep but we have a lot of different liquors we have outgrown the liquor cabinet yes i cannot house this many well that just seems like a failing on your part that's true i just <laughs> I, I agree i just need a bigger liquor cabinet i like that you have mount gay <laughs> it's a very good rum <laughs> and then for brunch today we have a very full brunch. We have pumpkin waffles. Made to look like little pumpkins. They do look like little That's pumpkins. very important. They're very cute. And focaccia breakfast sandwiches. And then what else do we have? Chicken sausages. The chicken breakfast sausages, yes. And we have pastries. So a very, very good brunch. Very, um, uh, would you say traditional? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well-rounded. 
I mean, the pumpkin waffles are probably the gimmickiest part of it. Yes. But we do have, like, it's a pumpkin cheesecake. Mm-hmm. It's an apple caramel cheesecake, so that's very fall. Yeah. So. And I did cheat. This is canned pumpkin puree. I did not roast my you own pumpkin. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that is for the pie that will come later in the month. That's why they tasted like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. Oh, goodness. You gonna make it? Yeah. I mean, it's one shot. Like, it's not gonna, like, knock me on my ass. But... Are you sure you haven't had much sleep? I haven't had much sleep. And, um, quite a few waffles. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right, are we ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Do you need your notes? I don't need my notes. Oh. Clinton really has been freeballing it for season three. That's right. Are you just Every comfortable? Day. Or <laughs> are you just comfortable or are you just putting in less effort? <laughs> um, let's see here. A little bit of A little of that. Yeah. I was busy making pumpkin waffles. Absolutely. Absolutely. To grab a book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Are we ready? Yes. All right, I'm going to take you back to the olden time age of 1998. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, a very, hey. A very important year for myself, but yes. I won't go into that. <laughs> In 1998, killings began happening all over Mexico City of elderly women. Did you right. get Mexican tequila? I got Cuervo. <laughs> I'm sure Mexico is like, no. There's so many better tequilas, but yeah, what you going to do? Okay, so it's, it's happening over several years. And in 2005, there had been 24 killings in three years. So wow. police, Yeah. So police started to actually put out news articles that said women over 60 should watch out. They should avoid strangers. I mean, it was becoming like like an epidemic. They're, like there was someone targeting elderly women. Oh, abuelo. I know. It was pretty bad. And it's funny because I actually found an article from 2005 and I got to read it like before they had caught this person. And it's interesting just to see that kind of, yeah, that kind of viewpoint. Police assumed it was a man in women's clothing based on descriptions of a broad shouldered assailant that managed to strangle poor elderly women. And the one sighting of them saw them in a dress. So (laughs) they also say it was the ugliest woman I've ever seen, (laughs) Um, which in turn put a lot of pressure on transgender communities. They started arresting men who dressed up in women's clothing or, or just men who identified as women, you know, things like that. Reminds me a lot of the Eddie Izzard bit he talks about. He's like, you know, executive transvestite versus fucking weirdo transvestite. (laughs) You know, it's like, there's a difference. Um, Several people were actually arrested. Like they, they said the police, Pretty much targeted transgender sex workers. That's who they thought were doing this. Easy. Right. And so that several people were arrested, but the fingerprints never matched what was found on the scene. Rumors were that the police were using older ladies as baits and traps at malls, but this was uh, never confirmed or uh, the police denied it ever happened. But that makes me laugh that there was some like old lady like with a walkie like talking into her wrist. <laughs> There's nobody following me. I'm going home. It's time for bingo. What happened was that they just went to the mall spotted an old lady just followed her around for the day yeah so really the police are coming off as the weirdos (laughs) but eventually a neighbor saw the assailants leaving the house of their last victim and they managed to arrest them and that led us to juana barraza who was an amateur wrestler named the silent lady so it was indeed a woman who was serial killing. And this, and I bring this up in particular. Wanna. I want to kill your mother. <laughs> because it was very evident that the police 
could not even fathom it was a woman doing these murders that nobody nobody thought it was nobody thought it was even though they had seen they had had sightings of her in her in her dress you know and stuff like that nobody thought it was a woman well what can it I don't know if you're going to go into this. Oh, I will. But okay. So yeah, I think it's the, what, the type of murder. Yeah, let's talk about okay. the murder scenes in a minute. So anyway, she was arrested after leaving the house of one of her victims who was strangled with a stethoscope. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She became known as, please forgive my Spanish, Mata Viejitas, which means little old lady killer. Mm-hmm. She typically posed as a social benefits worker to gain access to the house, or she was offering these little old ladies domestic help, like washing their clothes and stuff like that. And she would get in. And then she would use items around the house, such as the women's tights or pantyhose, curtain cords, or phone cables to strangle them. She sometimes bludgeoned them to death as well. So I think the strangulation, they figured, I think the police were thinking that maybe women couldn't be strong enough to do it. I don't know. But they're little old ladies. So, I mean, and we're talking like, like her last victim was in her 90s. So we're talking old women. Well, I mean, the stereotype or, you know, statistically speaking, women kill from afar. Right? Yes, or like so, like yeah, poison, poison and stuff like that. It's not really that physical with women, and so it, and, and it gets more physical yeah. Strangula- strangulation and bludgeoning is pretty physical. You have to hold people down. To do yeah, that. that's true. And I can definitely see, like to your point, if I were a ninety-year-old woman, and some woman showed up at my door saying, "Hey, can I help you around the house?" or whatever it is, I would not think, "Oh, this is clearly a killer." Right? You no, know, like no one is in that mindset. Right? Exactly. So. A woman shows up that fills up your doorway. And they're like, <laughs> right, yes. hey, let me have her around the house. You still going to feel that way? <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. When she was found, she had a full nurse's uniform. She had forged social benefits cards and paperwork. So she looked legitimate. Okay. She looked like she knew she was part of the government. Mm-hmm. The domestic help thing, I think, was a little bit more casual. But when she showed up as a social benefits worker in disguise, obviously, mm-hmm. then I think people just believed her. You know, I mean, it was the, it was the early 2000s. She would also use, and this is why they they probably thought it was a dude, she would use wrestling moves on her Mm. victims before she strangled them. So these women were battered. They were were beaten up Or they were just practice. Depends on how you look at it. Oh, God. Um, And then she would typically rob them, and she also took items for trophies. So she, she has a, she definitely has an M.O., so let's talk about the reasoning behind. Yes, please. Uh, why I've, she does yeah, this. Yeah, I'm wondering. She was, and a psychologist has confirmed this. So I'm using their notes from court cases and stuff like that. So it's not me playing amateur psychologist. This is what she was basically diagnosed with. Fantastic. She was basically taking revenge on her own mother. Mm. Okay. Mm. She, uh, Juana was born in Hidalgo, Mexico in December in 1957 to an alcoholic sex worker who left her father when Juana was three months old. All right, so already rough upbringing. She never learned to read or write. She was abused as a child and eventually sold to a man named Jose Lugo for three beers when she was 13. Wow. Yeah, her mom just kind of gave her away for some beer. Cool. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Mom. He uh, habitually raped her for four years. He kept her for four years, and, and she was his property. Yeah. He impregnated her twice when she was 13 and again when she was 16, but both resulted in miscarriages. So, obviously, horrible, horrible childhood, horrible upbringing. Juana eventually moved to Mexico City when her mom died. So I think that was a way to get away from her past. Mm -hmm. She married several times and had four children. Her firstborn son died in a, I I saw either gang shooting or a mugging, or, you know, possibly like both kind of combined at Mm -hmm. age 24. Mm -hmm. 
So she has seen heartbreak and pain throughout her life. At some point, she started stealing and then breaking into homes. And she first started with like a buddy. They were they were breaking into homes and stealing stuff from people. But the buddy had a, a was fucking a high ranking police officer in the Mexico City Police, and he supposedly was corrupt and blackmailed Juana for money so that she could get out. Like they got arrested and he blackmailed her for money so she could get free. And so she's like, well, now I'm not working with anyone anymore. I'm going to work by myself. So she's breaking into homes. But the first woman she killed was a woman whose house she was breaking into. And this woman supposedly started making derogatory comments toward her and Juana snapped. So this was the idea that she triggered her like her mother did. And Juana killed her. When she was arrested, they found an altar in her home to Santa Muerta. A com- this, is, this is a direct quote. I do not consider I don't know anything about this. this is a, a common saint for thieves and drug smugglers. So, okay. I mean, I get it. Saint Death and everything. Like, there's no actual Saint Muerta that, that I know of as far as being Catholic. I don't think there's a Santa Muerta, but... Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know, I don't know yeah. the egg because, I mean, cultural, there sure, are sure. different saints for different... But she had an altar to this right. particular saint. Juana was sentenced to 70, 759 years in prison over, again, I saw two different numbers, 11 murders or 16 murders. Okay? But that's a lot. No matter that's which a lot. one. Yeah. And she could have done as many as 40. Wow. Because she only confessed to four murders. Oh. oh. But they were able to pin <clears throat> 11 to 16 on her because of... I think, I think circumstantial evidence or, or fingerprints or something like that. So she got 759 years. But yeah, because the murder started in 1998. Mm-hmm. And they I think they went all the way back to then to say, but she said her first victim was in 2003. So again, this is also a, a commentary on, I guess, the Mexican judicial system because Juana believes that she was being pinned with murders that she did not do. Mm-hmm. That other people had, I guess, stolen from old ladies and killed them. Okay. But she could have done as many as 40, and even with just the 11 to 16, it makes her one of Mexico's most prolific serial killers, men or women. Mm-hmm. She's one of the most, she's, the, she's up there. She's only going to serve 50 years according to Mexico's law. That's, that's as much as you can get. So she's sentenced for 759. She's only going to serve 50. But she's still going to be very, I think she's up for parole in 2038. And you mentioned, she was born in what, the 50s, you said? Yeah, 57. Yeah, so she's going to be very old if she ever gets released. She knew what she did was wrong, but she did only admit to, to the four killings. She seemed to think they were pinning stuff on her. And at the trial, she said, let God forgive me and not abandon me. And that is the case of the silent lady, lucha wrestler, little lady killer. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> She's very faceted. Multifaceted. She's got, and like this case has been... Um, it's kind of famous. Like, I thought you might have heard of yeah, it. Yeah, I have. You have. Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought you might have heard of it. Because, like, people have thought about making TV shows about it. There's been documentaries made about it. It's pretty famous. Which is interesting because I, I, it took me a little while to find stuff about her history. Most of the articles I was running across just on a cursory glance were all about the trial and the murders and so forth. But I'm like, where did she come from? What did, what, where, how did she get to this point? And so I had to do a little bit more digging to find that. It was probably more difficult to actually find reliable information about her past, being that a lot of it's uh, pro- most likely undocumented. That's true. I mean, like school. Yeah, I mean, she, she didn't, it didn't go, seem like she went to school. Yeah. yeah. And the, the man who owned her for four years, I mean, I'm sure there wasn't a, a paper trail for that. Right. 
it's a very interesting case. But you can see an escalation. Oh, and, sure. And so, like, when people become kleptomaniacs, right, they say a lot of that comes from the need to control or know that you've done something and other people don't know it, right? That right. kind of thing. And so you kind of can see that that's where she started from, maybe a need of control, and then it wasn't satisfying that need and it escalated. Yeah, and that's what that's what's interesting to me because there's there's like two two different wanas at work, right? There's the wana who obviously has pent up traumatic aggression towards her own mother for what her life was as a child. Mm -hmm. But then she's stealing from these people. This is a very cut and dry, this is how she's decided to live her life as far as, this is how she's going to make money. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me. And then, of course, after she killed the first woman, I I feel like it was something like broke in her. And she's like, okay, well, this, this was easy. This was... I don't want to say fun. I don't know what she was thinking, but she obviously, yeah, but she obviously felt like it was some kind of release and she kept doing it. Yeah. Because even if she did the bare minimum, even if she killed only 11 people or only, or four, only the four, the only four, four yeah, that is still, still horrifying. That is not a, oops, this little old lady tripped yeah. and fall in my presence. That right. is, I, I killed a bunch of people. And that was like, they all didn't get into like a confrontation with her. She, right. she, she was a predator. She went and she found these people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. She hunted these, these poor little old ladies. So it's very sad and she's very dangerous. And I, and I actually hope she does not ever get out of prison because I don't oh. think she would be. I mean, she'll be a hundred years old when she does. <laughs> right. So. so she probably won't make it, but we'll see. And then of course she does have children out there too. Like, I don't know. Well, I don't know what their upbringing was like. You know, was she a, an attentive mother? I don't know. Did she make up for past transgressions that her mother did to be a more affectionate? I doubt it. Like, it just seemed like her home life was very unstable from start to finish. So, shall we put her on the scale? Let's put her on the scale. And the scale, of course, I'm referring to is Dr. Michael H. Stone's scale of evil from his work, The Anatomy of Evil, where he talks about placing murderers on a 1 to 22 scale. I can't think of another word that says scale. Starting with 1. Justifiable homicide. And going all the way up to 22. Psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. Good. I have three that I was thinking about. If I, And they kind of go in how evil we think she is, right? Okay. So the kindness one, I think, would be number five, which is traumatized, desperate persons who kill relatives or others yet have remorse. Because I do honestly think she did have remorse. I just think that she couldn't stop herself. I don't know. Like, she just, I don't know. That's a well, tough Well, what one. makes you think she had remorse? Just the whole, at the end, saying that, I know what I did, and I and I hope God forgives me for it. Like, she recognized she did wrong. I don't think she ever, hmm. I don't think she was ever trying to skirt that. You know, she never said she was innocent to the end. Or anything like that. Or pass it off on someone else. Mm-hmm. So. 13. Inadequate, rageful psychopath. Some committing multiple murders. I think that's a good one for at least the first murder. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was literally a snapping, just deciding to go after her. And I do think there might be something psychopathic about Juana. Or 16. Psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts. Including murder. So. Thoughts? Yes, I have all thoughts. three of them. Oh, yeah. right. okay. <laughs> um, no, I. I mean, I agree. Clearly, she's a traumatized person. Right. Yes. Now, whether she is 
in a desperate situation when she starts these killings, I don't think I can agree with. That's fair. I mean, she's not doing it when she was 13. And, and right. This is not like Lugo. the person who has been habitually raping me, I right. killed him. Like, right. this isn't that. That's true. So, so I don't know if I can give her the five. And I also wouldn't agree that she actually shows much remorse. Mm, interesting. I mean, just saying that, I mean, owning that what you did is not the same as feeling guilt. You know? I mean, she asks God for forgiveness. That's sure. Easy. I mean, so that's cynical. But no, seriously, that's easy to ask God for forgiveness. There's no one there to say no. Yeah, I don't forgive you. But at the same time, like she's going to prison, she didn't have to say anything. You know, she, she didn't have, have to. But she could have said, "I'm sorry for what I've done," and she didn't she say could've. that either. So. I mean, I don't have the full transcript. She might have. Nah, <laughs> but, but yeah. So let's see here. And then you went all the way down to 16. And 13. And 13. So 13, inadequate, rageful psychopaths, some committing multiple murders. Now that, I could see that. And there's something about that word inadequate. Like, she's so behind the eight ball from the beginning. You know what I mean? She can't read or write. She has these odd jobs. She does wrestling, I think, out of... It's a hobby. It's also probably a form of outletting her aggression. I feel like the... For some reason, I feel like that inadequate term kind of kind of fixes for her. Well, and if we do take the psychologist's evaluation of her, right, and saying that her murder started because a woman antagonized her to the point that it triggered something in her brain that reminded her of her mother. Yeah. And that was the impetus of it. Then I would say that that, if that was the repeat of every time she killed someone, that is, I mean, textbook rage, right? Right. And that might have been the case that she felt all that rage at the beginning and then she's like, I got to do it more. Because, I mean, rage is just as powerful as serotonin. Like, you, you get the same you get the same high off of right. anger that you do off of happiness. Right. And the thing is, it's kind of like what, like a drug, right? In that if you have all this rage in you and it was relieved by this first killing, but it doesn't solve the rage, so it comes back. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we, I think we see that on several, mm-hmm. right? Several people and everything like that. Also, the mother thing. God, mothers can fuck their kids up. I tell you what. I'm doing it every day. Ugh. <laughs> I'm trying not to. I apologize to my child. Therapy bills. Yep. So, I feel like 13 could be a pretty good one. I, I think 13 is the best. So, then going all the way to psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts, including murder, where also psychopathy is apparent. Yeah. I mean, she did beat these little old ladies. Yeah. I mean, toss them around and, like rag dolls. And, yeah, and strangulation is is pretty vicious. Yeah, impersonal. But I, I think the the rageful. Yeah. there's something about that to me. Yeah, yeah, I think that too. I think she did have just just a volcano in her, and she mm-hmm. and it, it finally busted. Right. Right, and so like uh, an important thing to put aside or to compare to then. So right before sixteen is fifteen, which is cold blooded. Right, and I don't. And think she was I don't. This doesn't feel like. This meticulous, cold-blooded, I'm just killing people, and there's zero emotion around right, it. Like, right. this is... It's all about the emotion yeah. that she's it's all about having mom. that. Yeah. Agreed. All right, so 15? No, 13. 13. And she's there by herself. By herself. Our first 13. Okay. Juana Barraza. She's a, she's a hard woman. Like, just, there doesn't seem to be a lot of... She doesn't have that. You know how, like, when they have, especially when they have women serial killers, a lot of times they show her in the press or on the internet as, like, this, like, 
homey, like, look how she tricked you. You know, she's so pretty. Like, Diane Downs. She's so pretty, and she mm-hmm. killed her kids. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And Juana Barraza does not. So she's like more that. like, um, oh, what's her name? Um, Eileen Warnos. Yeah, Eileen yeah. Warnos, where you're like, mm, get away from her. <laughs> she, she's a, she looks like she's led a very tough life. She looks um, a little bit like the Pink Ranger in her in her luchador outfit. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well, her outfit's all pink. Her, oh, her, okay. her uniform was all pink. Well, you know. And um, Oh, and one of the articles I was reading, the guy who wrote it, he's like, I could not find any records of her wrestling, like like whether she was a good wrestler or not. And I'm, I, I'm very curious about that. It may have just been like in people's backyards. No, I think she did like legitimate like gym wrestling. Okay. But she also, but it was definitely amateur because she did wrestling, but then she would sell popcorn at the concession stand too. You know what I mean? So it's definitely, <laughs> she was not pro or Somebody, semi-pro. Someone just poked their head into the popcorn stand and was like, hey, you're up in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she definitely, that was, it was more of a hobby. They, I'm not even sure she It's on paid. amateur night. Yeah. But again, I think, I think that physical of a, of an activity was just her. Just working yeah, I mean, shit you, out. You just gotta fight. You just gotta. You had to stick to wrestling, Lana. You had to not. You had to leave it in the ring and and do something else. Right. That's like you know therapy is where you direct your your you know trauma and everything like that into something yes um, constructive. Yeah. Paint a picture. Wrestle a man. <laughs> Punch a pillow. <laughs> but even the whole like, I feel bad for people that cannot or never learn to read and write because like oh, yeah. that is that is like. A prison for you, like it is. It is so difficult then to seek out information or anything. That's to... true, and I mean, I obviously get the idea that she never went to therapy. She never got help for anything that she right. went through. That is true about the whole reading and write thing, writing thing. In that, I you, know, you take it for granted the things you learn just by seeing something and picking it up. Yeah. Not even like going like you know, not finding like a novel or a book or something on a specific t- uh, topic, but just like, you know, gleaning here and there different things from, right. you know, all around you. Okay. You guys you got a story today? I got a story today. All right, let's hear your story today. Of course I have a story today. All right, story 2. We are going to talk about the Ketty Cabin Murders. I'm just trying. I'm I'm looking for recognition from you. Not yet. Okay. So, the time, 1981. The place, Ketty, California. Ketty. Oh, now I remember. Yeah. (laughs) K-E-D-D-I-E. You do not. Not yet. (laughs) Oh, Ketty, California. (laughs) I was stuck in Ketty, Wyoming. Okay, got it. All right, Glenna Sue Sharp. I don't know where Sue came from, but that's what everybody called her. Is that her middle name? I, no, because it's all in quotations. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, yeah. if I was named Glenna, I would go by something like <laughs> Sue as well. Okay. Name shaming. So Sue Sharp is renting cabin number 28 for her and her children at the Ketty Camping Resort. Mm-hmm. Sue is the mother of five children and had just recently divorced an abusive husband in 1979. At that time, she lived in North Carolina, but decided to pack up and move across the country to be closer to her brother, who lived in Quincy, California. After living in a trailer park for a short time, Sue packed her kids up and moved to a former mountain area camping resort known as Ketty Resort. At one time, Ketty was a town with a bustling railway terminal in the Sierra Nevada mountains. But after the train stopped coming and the railroad closed, much of the population left. The town tried to rebrand itself as a kind of hiking and camping resort, 
But after this endeavor failed, the owner turned the cabins into low-income housing. So between Sue's part-time job at the Quincy Elks Lodge and a $250 a month stipend from the Navy that she was granted in her divorce, Sue was just able to rent the cabin and give her kids a home. $250 a month is not a lot. Well, in the 80s. Even in the 80s. Well, I mean... I mean, this cabin, right. <laughs> this cabin was probably like two bedrooms. Like, I don't. I don't even think it was. I think it's closer to like an efficiency. Mm. Like, no, 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 it wasn't so bad. Okay, I have a description of it. So they all started to integrate into the community. The children started school in Quincy. The kids were John, fifteen; Sheila, fourteen; Tina, twelve; Rick, ten; and Greg, five. And Sue herself was still trying to better her situation and taking a typing class. The cabin itself was meeting their needs as one walked through the front door, opened to a living room and then a kitchen beyond. Still further in were two bedrooms. The girls shared one of the bedrooms and the two younger boys shared the other. John had the basement level to himself. And I believe Sue slept on the couch in the living room. So... It's not, it was, it's much more spacious than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And also there's some pictures of it. It does not look like it's that big, but it worked for them. On April 11th, 1981, uh, it was a typical day for the family. The kids were in and out of the cabin all day. John spent the day out in Quincy with his friend Dana. A neighbor boy, Justin, had come over to play with the younger boys and they had plans to have Justin sleep over that night. Around 1.30, Sue and Sheila drove into Quincy to pick up John and Dana. But later that day, around 3.30, the two headed out again and would not return until later that night. Sheila and Tina went next door to cabin 27 to visit and watch TV with friends. And Sheila stayed the night, but Tina decided to return home around 9.30. So we know where everybody is? Well, tell us who's in the house. Okay, so... The two younger boys, Rick and Greg, mm-hmm. and their friend Justin, mm-hmm. are having a sleepover. Tina. But Sheila's not. Yeah, Tina came back. Sheila stayed at the friend's house. And John and Dana are there too? John and Dana went out. They were going to return late. And, of course, Sue is there. Right. In the morning of April 12th, 1981, around 7 a.m., Sheila arrived back home from her sleepover. As she walked into the house, she found a horrific sight. The cabin was covered in blood. Sue, John, and Dana were all dead, each lying on the floor, hands and ankles bound with electrical cording and medical tape. Sheila ran back to the neighbor's house for help, and while they presumably called the police, the neighbor's teenage son, Jamie, returned to cabin 28 to check if the small children were still alive. Why the teenager, though? Like, I, um, this is a different time. Maybe but, he volunteered. Well, just to me, that's still a child. You know, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what his exact age was. He may have been, like, 17. Yeah. 18 or something like that. I'm not sure about him. But miraculously, he found all three boys, Rick, Greg, and Justin, alive. And he took all three out through the bedroom window. So I, I like that that, <laughs> that uh, little tidbit. Yeah. Hmm. Good, good guy, Jamie. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. 
So this is what the police learned during their investigation. Buckle up, Clinton. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Both Sue and John had severe blunt force trauma to their heads, multiple stabbings, and their throats slashed. Dana also had trauma to his head, but was strangled. Sue had gotten the brunt of the attack as she was gagged with a bandana and her own underwear, and then a piece of tape put over her mouth. She had quite a lot of defense wounds along her arms, suggesting that she put up a fight. Strangely, though, neither John nor Dana had any defense wounds. Though there was no sign of sexual assault, Sue was naked from the waist down, and according to blood evidence, it would suggest that her legs were splayed but somebody moved her body and then covered her with a blanket after the murder, though they could not determine when or by who. Evidence was abundant. Detectives found two bloody knives, a hammer, an unaccounted for piece from a Daisy 880 BB gun, and a bloody fingerprint on the back door railing. There was massive blood evidence, but none left by the killer or killers. However, they did find some unknown DNA on a piece of tape. Through all the chaos and horror, it took hours for anyone to realize that Tina was completely missing. There are only a few blood stains on her bedding, but no other sign of where she could have gone. That was like, what do you mean it took them hours to realize that she's just not there? Yeah, because... Well, how old were... Because Greg and, and Ricky are only five and seven. And ten. Five and ten. Yeah. And then Sheila is... A, she's a teenager. She's, she's 14. She might be in shock. You know, that kind of thing. But I would be like, okay, let's let's all count heads. Right. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> or it could have been, like you said, like we stopped halfway to, to say, okay, who's at the house? It could have been one of those days where they were all in separate directions and maybe they thought Tina was at a friend's house. Maybe. Or even, I don't know, like... If the inside was so horrific, it's like you didn't count off bodies in there. I don't know. And you're right. just like, you don't want to. I think found the boys, though. I think true. one of the things may have been is that the investigators, they weren't talk. They didn't talk to, Sh- to Sheila. They may not before. Have. So they may not have been looking. You know? Right. Right. So, and Sheila may not have known who to go to to say, yeah. where's my sister? Yeah. yeah. Uh, or just had assumed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she is missing. Gone. Mm-hmm. No witnesses could be found, though some people in the area said that they had been awoken by muffled cries in the night. They could not determine where they had come from, so they just went back to sleep. And the young boy said they had slept through the whole event. Despite the evidence, the police never made an arrest or even named a person of interest. Later, investigations would discover that pieces of evidence were never logged and certain t- leads were not followed up on, leading some to think the police were either incompetent or covering up something or someone. About a month after the murders, Justin, who was the little friend sleeping over, told his therapist that he was having dreams of the murder. He said in the dreams he was trying to stop Sue's bleeding and would cover her in a blanket. Under hypnosis, Justin said that after falling asleep watching TV in the boys' room, he awoke to noises in the living room. There he saw Sue speaking with two men, one tall and blonde with a mustache, and the other shorter with dark hair, both wearing glasses. It's hollow notes. Okay, go ahead. 
while they were talking, John and Dana arrived back home, and for some reason, this resulted in violence. He also said that Tina came out to check on the noise, and one of the men abducted her. Justin even gave enough information to create police sketches of the men. That's rough. Because Justin's, what, like 10? He's like 9, 10, something like that? Yeah, because he's the smaller boy's friend. So he's probably maybe even in between. Yeah, like 7 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. And of course, I mean, at that point, so it's a month after. Yeah. There has been media. There has been talk. It's a small town. He has gone through something terrible. He has gone through something terrible. But he could had easily been influenced or had, you know, the little seeds planted in his mind. So, so it may have just been nightmares. Yeah. All right. So let's fast forward three years later, April 22nd, 1984. Ronald Pedrin was in the woods about 90 miles from Ketty collecting cans. However, what he found was a human skull and mandible. Mm hmm. At first, the bones were thought to, to be that of a Native American, but after an anonymous call and forensic dental analysis, it was confirmed that there were remains of Tina Sharp. Police did seem to suspect Marty Smart. Ugh, terrible name. Yeah, Martin Smart. He should have gone by Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Sue Smart. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks for lightning. Yeah, that's okay. helpful. <laughs> All right. So they they did seem to suspect Marty Smart, Justin's stepdad, who oh. lived in cabin 26. Hmm. He matched the description that Justin gave police, which again, blonde guy with glasses, and that's the well, that's the person li- Justin knows. Yeah, he yeah. Right, he would have said it was my dad, not some that's blonde true. guy with a mustache yeah, or whatever, right. like. But anyway, or stepdad, stepdad. <laughs> so he matched the description. He was taking the same typing class as Sue and had a violent temper. Mm. In fact, Justin's mom said that he had tr- he had tried to actually run her and her son over with his vehicle. Hmm. Are you still sticking around? Is that what I'm well, hearing? You know, a hard man's... Or a hard man. Hard man. A good man is hard to find. <laughs> a hard man is good to find. Yeah. Um, during his interview, he told police that his hammer had gone missing... And that Justin may have seen something of the murder, but the police did not seem to follow up on these statements. Mm, I think that one's a little weak. What? As far as the suspects. Marty left Ketty soon after and ultimately died in 2000 from cancer. Later, it was found that Marty was a personal friend of the then sheriff. Oh. And may I guess have, I have to retract what I just said. And may have confessed to killing Sue and Tina to his counselor at Veterans Administration. According to the account, Marty was angry that Sue had convinced his wife to leave him. Now remember, she herself had escaped an abusive marriage. The counselor did notify the police of this information not long after the murders, but it does not seem that it was followed up on at the time. Marty's wife even said that he confessed in a letter to her, apparently writing, quote, I've paid the price for your love, and now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me that we're through? Great. What else do you want? Jeez. <laughs> like she asked him to kill those people. Well, doesn't that sound like the, like exactly what an abusive yes. man would say? Yeah. yeah, it's like, uh, I own you because I bought it. Yeah. Thank you. And now you're... You, well, and you made me kill those people. Right. Feel that guilt. Yeah. Yeah. 
This letter was never admitted into police evidence. So is the idea that his wife just had it? Like she she never got rid of it. She just I don't. But nobody ever came to collect it. Well, here's the thing. I think it was more like she said, "I had it. I gave it to them. It was never oh, lost." I see. Okay. You know, because it's like it's not like there's a picture of it or anything like that. Right. I think it's just she says it existed and now it doesn't. Hmm. In 2013, more evidence came to light. A new special investigator, Mike Gamberg, was assigned the case and was able to find the missing anonymous 911 call from when Tina's bones were found. So if you remember, mm-hmm. they thought it was Native American bones until someone just, you know, called and said, hey, I think it's Tina's bones for... Shits and giggles. Yeah, for, <laughs> for who knows, like, yeah. you know. And he found it at the bottom of an unopened evidence box and sent it for analysis. Now, what that analysis says, we don't know. They're not sharing that. In 2016, a man with a metal detector found a hammer matching Marty's missing one at the bottom of a dried pond near Ketty. The placement of which would suggest that someone physically had to throw it it in. yeah. Yeah. In April 2018, Gamberg matched the DNA evidence to a living suspect. Though no arrests have been made and no one named, Gamberg suggests that six people may have been involved and says this, they better batten down the hatches because we're coming. We're continuing with the investigation and we're doing interviews. We have several persons of interest. In 2004, Cabin 28 was demolished and the Ketty Resort has since been abandoned. Wow. I didn't realize that about the new uh, DNA that they're still, they're still doing that case. I do remember this one as far as the single mom with the five kids and everything like that. Yeah. I, I had forgotten about the neighboring stepfather as a suspect. Yeah. That's interesting. That would be cool if they, because if they have DNA evidence linking to a living relative, they, they must be like right there. This is, this is a GSK kind of. Yeah, it's almost just like they need just a few more points of evidence or whatever to link it. Or yeah. or maybe they, they know like this person has was there. Yeah. Now we want to use them to get A, B, and C or yeah. something like that. So there are several different like theories, okay? In that some people think that Sue was convincing uh, Marty's wife to leave him. And so he went into a rage and he went and killed her for revenge or whatever. And might have had a buddy help. Or... And, and yeah, because at the time there was a guy named Bo that was living with Marty and his family, right? Um, and apparently he only had met Bo like a couple of weeks before. And Bo was suffering from PTSD, had record you know issues and stuff like that and then the night that this happened it apparently is documented that Bo, marty and marty's wife went out drinking then came back and then Bo and marty went out again and then you know Who was unaccountable for yeah him, right it would make sense that they didn't hurt the boys because it was his stepson right. and he right there, so there's a lot of misinformation about this story too. There's a lot of things that people have sprinkled in to make it a little bit more sensationalized or to make it seem almost paranoia, uh, pa- not paranoia, <laughs> paranormal. 
So there is some kind of weird like evidence or or I'm not quite sure how they got it in which the boys actually fell asleep in the living room watching TV and and they were picked up and moved before the murders. Um, I'm not sure where that came from, though. That wasn't in this. I tried very hard to find a source that didn't have those speculations and it was just based off of written documentation. So another theory was that Sue and Marty were having an affair. And that Marty's wife found out. And then she instigated Marty to go kill them. Yeah. To, you know. Because she was mad. Prove his love and mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? I mean, John and Dana kind of like interrupted. Right. And like if that. that happened, right, that would make sense about like the conspiracy. But like six people involved, I'm not quite sure. That's, well, that's all six- I could think of for six people involved, like, there may have only been, like, two people in the cabin, mm-hmm. but then they gave Tina to two other people or something like that, like, right. or passed her around. Yeah. Or and plus, like, like, the members of the police force. Right. Like, so that, those I mean, could be the six yeah. people. Right. And then that's another thing is I feel, I feel terrible for Tina because, firstly, so he said that he killed Tina. Like, if the counsel, the story the counselor said was true, he killed Tina because she saw what had happened. But if that's the reason, you don't take her. her. You just kill her right then. And unfortunately, because they've only found her skull, they can't begin to know what they did to her. Yeah. Well, and that's like in your story about how like John and Dana had no defensive wounds. All they had to do was tell those boys, lay down, we're going to tie you up or we're going to do something to your mom. You know what I mean? Like, and they're, because they're still teenage boys. It's not like they're going to fight back if there's two men with guns or something like that. Absolutely not. And their mother's in danger. Well, one of their mother's in danger. Poor Dana. Like, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Poor Tina. It's like, I should have just slept over. Yeah. Should have stayed over with Sheila. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a big part of this case is just the timing involved and everything like that. Right. It like almost like if it was Marty and he, he was looking for a night that most of the kids would be out or something like that. Maybe he thought Justin would have invited the boys over to their house. So, you know what I mean? Like almost like, but he might've also been waiting for if, if it was him, um, Justin being there, it was a good way to get inside. Yeah. Like, I've come over to check on Justin or something like yeah. that. And then maybe he thought John and Dana would be out longer than they were or something yeah. like that. Because then, to me, that's the only threat he would have seen is an older boy. Like, right. But, again, you can yeah. overpower them with just the threat. I don't know. That's um, shitty. Also, I find it interesting that there, were no, there was no evidence of sexual assault on Sue. Yeah. But she was naked from the waist down. I mean, that they your, may have been interrupted. Right. Putting someone's panties in their mouth, like, that... Well, also, to me, it seems like the the beginning of sexual assault. Well, also, also, I hate the word panties. Please let me rephrase that. Putting someone's underwear in their mouth is like the start of sexual assault to me. That and, and also displaying the body. Yeah, like if her legs were splayed and you know she was meant to be left there. I kind it's of a mark of humiliation. Right. I kind of feel like maybe Janie moved her. Moved her. Oh gosh. Because he he did see everything. All that yeah. was there. So. Oh, but gosh. yeah, but no one has ever been arrested. No, no one has like in the media or anything has been stated Named. as a person of interest. It's interesting to me that there was a bunch of uh, evidence that I mean, they specifically say this evidence was not logged. Right. This it was not followed through, you know. So but, you know, it was a small town and you're friends with the chief. It, yeah. <clears throat> well, there is, like you said, the good takeaway of he 
took the children out through the window instead of yeah and and there's still a possibility that it could be solved so yeah that is actually really interesting and i hope it is because uh you know it's it's tragic did you see anything earlier i mean like more recent than 2013 no oh well this is 28 or 2018 18 okay was when they're they matched the evidence uh dna evidence yeah gosh i hope they do solve it Mm -hmm. that's wild and I'm assuming Sheila and her brothers went to go live with their dad? They No. They okay. went to go live with an aunt. Okay. Unfortunately, the aunt couldn't support them, so they ended up in foster care oh, eventually. Really? Oh, I geez. don't think they lost... They didn't lose touch, but Sheila says that she simply does not talk to her brothers about it. It's just one of those things where it's like... Sure. Under the surface. and Because, I mean, the boys... Have no memory of it, of yeah. the event. Um, she doesn't want them to know anything. I, they're old enough. They probably they are curious. Yeah. And, but, but still, that's... Ugh, what a terrible turnout. Mm-hmm. What a fucking mess. Poor Sue. Yeah. She was just trying to... She's just trying to live her life. Provide just, something yeah. for her kids. Get them, get them somewhere safe. And some fucking dude has to wreck it. Dudes. They're the worst. The worst. Not all of them, but a few. Who knows? Maybe it was a woman wrestler. Came in. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, man. All right. Well, on that note, yeah. shall we do sources? Sure. My sources were the BBC.com, The Guardian, Reuters? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Reuters. Yeah. Reuters? Okay. Mm-hmm. I've, I only ever see it written, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Inside Edition. I only have one source, because like I said, I read a bunch of things, but there were a lot of like, maybe it was a goose. Yeah. <laughs> it was, some of That's it weird was that the paranormal aspect has become so popular. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's because, oh, it's a cabin at night and yeah. whatever. But um, all, my source primarily comes from historicmysteries.com. Okay, sources. Another uh, murder brunch in the bag. Is that where we keep these yes, bags? In a bag. Um, <laughs> in happy a November. Christmas is around the corner. What are you getting me? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Well, fine. we can't tell you. Right, right, right. Of course. Maybe I've already gotten it. Maybe. Maybe you've already gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're going to get it. <laughs> But if you would like to hear more, uh, <laughs> you're say, but if you want to send me, something, <laughs> if you want to hear more murder brunch, you can join us here again. Um, all of our socials are under the name murder brunch on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email us at murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com and find our website at murderbrunchpodcast.com. And join us next time for, well, don't forget to check out our Patreon. Oh shit. For, <laughs> I always forget something. Go ahead. Oh, oh shit. Um, check out our Patreon for $5 a month. You get an extra episode presented by our very own Clinton. And recipes and extra little sound clips and some extra Pictures. photos. Lots of good things. Yep. Just for you. Yep, yep, yep. So. Join us next time for... More mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. Bye.